Happy February, everybody. I'm glad that you guys are part of our services this weekend. This is the month where we have a Valentine's Day. If you have a significant other, there's a lot of pressure on you to make sure that you live up to that person's uh, expectations. If you're not in a relationship, this is the month where people are asking you why you're not in one or where there's just a lot of pressure around relationships uh, in, in this month because of Valentine's Day, which is, by the way, a made-up holiday by Hallmark to get more of our money. But every year during the month of February, we focus on relationships. There's a lot of churches that do that because it seems to be a popular theme that fits the rhythms of our life. Uh, the title for this series, it's complicated, we got from Facebook. Um, when you when you sign up for Facebook, it gives you an opportunity to, to include information about yourself and where it gets to relationship status. You've got options. I think some of the options are, it's been a long time since I've looked at it, but I think you can pick, I'm single, I'm in a relationship, I'm engaged, I'm married, I'm divorced. And then they've got this other option, it's complicated. And truthfully, regardless of which one of those other five you would pick, you've probably felt like your relationships are complicated, whether they're romantic relationships or not. So the title fits something that we all struggle with in all of our relationships. There's a whole lot of churches in the country who've done a series called It's Complicated because it's a great name for a series on relationships. Just like there's a whole lot of churches in the country that are named Grace Church because it's a great name for a church. One of these churches is a church that's mentored and coached us in the past. And in their series, they deal with completely different things than what we're going to be dealing with in our series this month. But the way they introduce the series, we believe, is going to be helpful for us moving forward in our series. So today's teaching is going to be largely influenced by that other church. Now, there's a lot of things that God has to say about relationships. In fact, the entire Bible is a narrative of the relationship between God and us, us and God, and us and each other. God and me personally, God and us collectively, and God and others. Like the whole Bible, it's one long story of the way that God has interacted in relationships. So naturally, God has a lot to say about our relationships, about our romantic relationships, about our familial relationships, our platonic relationships. God has a lot to say about these things. And some of these things are easy to hear, and they're easy because we like what it says. And some of the things that God has to say about our relationships is difficult. And it's difficult because it's not what we wanted to hear. Now, truthfully, some of the best advice we ever get in life is things being said to us that we didn't necessarily want it to hear, but it's what we needed to hear. And there will be some things in our teaching series uh, this, this year that are, that are like that. But there's also going to be things in the teaching series that we're going to hear that we absolutely love because it's the stuff that we wanted to hear. And I'm going to start off today with something that's easy to hear because it's something that all of us want. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's a good thing. Jesus says, I want all of you who are tired, who are exhausted, who are carrying burdens that are weighing you down, keeping you up at night, um, filling your life with anxiety. If that's you, Jesus said, I want you to bring those to me. If you're in a relationship with me, you don't have to carry those things alone anymore. 
You can bring those to me and I will give you something that you really need right now and that's rest. So obviously that's one of the things that Jesus said about his relationship with us that we all love because it's the thing that we want to hear. The next verse, verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you. Now I've never looked at my wife and said, hey babe, take my yoke upon you. That would be a really weird thing to say and it lacks context in our day and age and it's a farming term. Uh, that now we use tractors and plows and that kind of stuff. So we would never even, even now as a farmer, you probably wouldn't use the word yoke. But if you've seen a picture of old fashioned timey, an old timey plow where it's got two handles and then that blade in the dirt uh, following behind like two cows, those two cows are connected to each other or oxen are connected with a yoke. That's the wooden branch, the curvy branch that goes over the shoulders of the oxen. And then it's got two chains or metal bars that go underneath the cow or the oxen's neck. What the yoke does is it makes sure that both of the beasts that are helping you pull this plow through the dirt are walking at the same speed. Without this, one of them is going to be going fast and the other one's going to be lagging behind and the plow is going to be hitting the heels of the slower one. Or without the yoke, one's going to go left and the other one's going to go right and it's going to stop you right there in the middle of the dirt. You can't get done what needs to get done. So what farmers have done for who knows how long is that they've got two animals pulling their plow. They'll put them together in a yoke. What that does is that brings them close together in a working relationship where they both now have to go the same speed. When one stops, they both stop. When one starts, they both start. When one goes left, they both go left. And when one goes right, they both, they both go right. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, that's what he was inviting them to do. They, he was inviting them into a relationship with him. And in this relationship, it's not just that they would just know each other, but in this relationship with Jesus, he's saying, I'm asking you to come into a relationship with me where you learn to Go when I go, stop when I stop, turn left when I turn left, and turn right when I turn right. He says, I want you to let me teach you. That's the next part of verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you. I want to teach you how to walk in life. I want you to teach you when to stop, when to go, when to go left, and when to go right. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and this is the way that you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, this relationship is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is, is light. And I love everything about that. I'd, the part that makes me a little bit nervous is the part where I have to learn to walk through my life at Jesus's speed, where I have to go in the direction that Jesus wants me to go in that I need to stop when he wants to stop. That's the part that, that's that little part that I know I'm gonna have a hard time with. But the idea that Jesus would give me a relationship that brought me rest, that benefited me, is something that I really want to hear. But there are things that he says in this relationship that are gonna be hard for me to hear. Like when he says, I want you to go right, when what I really want to do is go left. Like, I know that that's going to be a hard part of this relationship that Jesus is inviting me into. And I'm going to have to do the same thing that you're going to have to do. Decide whether or not Jesus's way of living my life is what's best. 
That's a choice that you have to make. Each one of us have to make this choice on whether or not the best way for us to live is in relationship with God and in obedience to the things that God has to say to us. Not just about our relationships, but about everything else about our lives. We all have to make this decision. Some of us choose more regularly than not to do this, and others of us have a harder time doing this. There's a, a famous Christian, his name is C.S. Lewis, and he talked about this. And the quote that I'm going to read is this. He says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something than, other than God to make him happy. We aren't the first ones to struggle with whether or not we can find happiness in our lives apart from God. C.S. Lewis's generation isn't the first one to struggle with whether or not living in relationship with God and walking at the speed of Jesus and going in the direction that God's word tells us to go is going to be the thing that gives us a rich and satisfying life or not. In fact, you don't have to get out of the first two pages of the Bible before you see people struggling with whether or not they want to live in a yoke with God. Whether or not they want to go when he says go, stop when he says stop, go left when he says left, or right when he wants to go right. And their story, I think, is going to be helpful to us and our story, especially as it relates to the choices that we're going to make in our relationships. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you go to Genesis chapter 3. It's the very first book in the Bible. Chapter 3 is probably on the second page of your Bible. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. The serpent was the shrewdest of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman this question. And I'm going to stop real quick because I have a lot of questions about this. Now, we know from the end of chapter three that God is addressing Satan, who was speaking to the woman through the serpent. And again, I've got a ton of questions about that, and you might also. But what I'm going to ask you to do for the rest of today's teaching is whatever questions pop up in your mind about the snake, I'm going to ask you to pin those up over here to address at a later date because it doesn't relate to what we're talking about today. So if you can, take those questions and put them aside and focus on the point of the story. Uh, one day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? That's the first thing that he does. He throws doubt into the heart of the person to get them to question what God said and whether or not he meant it. Her response is this, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. Because God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, because if you do, you will die. Great response. So far, she's on track. But that doubt is sticking in her head. Did God really say that? And did he mean what he said? Or could he have possibly meant something else when he said that? Because the next thing Satan asks her or says to her is this, verse four, he says, you won't die. You won't. He's not telling you the truth. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and then you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse six says, and the woman was convinced, right? So she's heard these things, these doubts have been playing in her mind, and she makes the conscious decision to go in a different direction from God, to leave that yoke, to walk in a different direction. So the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was there with her, watching her go this direction and not stopping her by the way. And then he ate it. So together they made the conscious choice to walk away from that yoke. 
At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. There are different doubts that pop into our mind that I want to highlight because I think these are the same doubts that pop into our mind when we make a decision on what we're going to do in our relationships. Truthfully, I would say that every time any part of your life has become complicated, it's because you've given into one of these doubts, not just your relationships, anything. Like when your life begins to get sideways, you have, and if you're a follower of God, you're in a yoke with him. It's because one of the doubts that they faced in those first seven verses of chapter three, you faced, and then you also gave in to those doubts the same way she did. And that's what we're gonna be looking at. There's four different doubts that I see in the first seven verses that you and I struggle with. I want us to look at those so that we see them coming. And when we're tempted to go to go left, when God has called us to go right, you can identify why you feel this way. And if you can identify why you're feeling like you need to go in a different direction, and you're about to make a decision to go against the plan of God for your life, you'll be able to course correct before you've done anything that you regret. The first doubt is this. Maybe God's word isn't totally true. Maybe God didn't mean what he said when he said what he said. Now, why would I do this? For the same reason that my parents have told me to do something that I didn't want to do, and then I've made a justification for going ahead and doing it anyway. Well, if my mom and dad knew the circumstances that I'm in right now, they probably wouldn't make me do this. So I'm not going to do this. And my circumstances give me the reason to not do what they said because what they really meant was for this in this context and this time, but not for this context or this time. So I'll talk myself out of doing what I know my parents wanted me to do because I doubted whether or not they really meant what they said in my circumstance, which is exactly what Eve did. It's also what, what some of my friends who are doing now is some of my pastor friends. There are things that the Bible has to say that are hard. We want to go right or to go left, but God's calling us to go, to go right. And, and, and some of these things that God's called us to do are countercultural. Everybody in our culture says that this is the way to go, but God says this. And if I go this, then it's going to make some of the people over here feel a certain way, right? So there are some of the things that God says that are difficult, and I don't want to do them. So then they begin deconstructing the things that God has said and the way that Christians since before G, since before the church, since the followers of Jesus, and truthfully, since the followers of God, even in the Old Testament, have, have known to be true, we've begun to deconstruct so that we have reason to go in the opposite direction of what the Bible actually says that we should, we should go in. We say to ourselves, maybe God didn't mean that when he said that. Now, my parents have done that with me. I've done that with my kids. I've told them to do things that they did not want to do. I've told my kids to do things that I knew would be uncomfortable for them to do. And just like Eve, just like my pastor friends, just like me, just like my kids, and just like you, when God tells us to do something that we're not wanting to do, we've got to decide whether or not we believe that God knows more than we know. We have to get to the place where we say, I will do what God says, whether it makes sense to me or not. Like God had told Eve, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Satan said, did he really say that? 
And she has to decide, yes, he did. And whether or not I understand or I agree, I've got to decide that I trust God enough that I will align myself with the direction that God is calling me to go in, even if it doesn't fit what I want to do in my heart, right? And that's the same choice that you and I have to make also. It's okay that God would want us to do things that would make us uncomfortable. Like we would expect that, that there, if there is a God who is way up here and we are way down here, that there are things that he would say that we wouldn't understand, that there would be things about him that we couldn't comprehend. Like I'm okay with that. There's a well-known pastor in New York City. His name is Tim Keller. And he said this, if your God, small g God, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. That's what he said. Like, if, if the God you follow always agree with what, agrees with what you want, then maybe it's just an idealized version of yourself that you're worshiping and not God at all. Because if there is a God, it would make sense to me that there'd be things that he would say that I would not agree with or want to go along with. And truthfully, I don't have to go along with it. I have free will. Eve didn't have to go along with it. She has free will. My kids don't have to go along with what I say. I don't have to go along with what my parents said. Like, you don't have to obey what your boss says or what the speed limit is. Like, each one of us have free will. But every time we choose to act according to our own will and not the will of the authority placed over us, we have to understand that there is going to be a consequence that we will face. And Jesus said, us making the right choice in spite or because of the consequence is what separates wise people from foolish people. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that those who hear what I say and then follow it are the wise people. They're like people who build a house on a solid foundation. But those who hear the things that I say and do not do them are foolish. They're like people who would build a house on sand without a foundation. Like it will, it will not go well with you if you do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says this, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received this message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. So when we read the scriptures, we've got to make the same decision that those in Thessalonica did. Will I receive the words that I'm reading out of the Bible as the very words of God for my life or not? They chose wisely. Jesus encourages, the, encouraged his listeners to choose wisely. I'm encouraging those of you who are wanting to become followers of Jesus, if you're yoked with Jesus, to choose wisely also. And he says that because they believed this, he said, this word continues to work in you even now because you believe. Truthfully, the difference between those who truly belong to God and those who simply accept that he exists is probably whether or not they believe in God enough to trust God enough to actually submit to God as the authority of their lives. And that's what Eve struggled with. And when I go off the rails or when I go uh, left when God has called me to go right, it's because I struggled with that also. The second doubt is this, whether or not sin is really all that bad. She says, well, I'll die. And he goes, oh, it's not, it's not that bad. You won't really die. That's not really the consequence. Sin isn't really that bad. And what we say is, as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, why does that matter? I mean, that I think is the governing ethic of our culture today, is that as long as you are being true to yourself and it doesn't hurt anybody else, then who's to say whether or not 
it's right or wrong. Well, truthfully, I'm not the person to say that it's wrong for you, but wouldn't your creator be the one who has the right to say that to you? I mean, truthfully, the sins that I've committed, some of them are against other people, but some of the things that have gotten me sideways or made my life more complicated are things that I've done that didn't necessarily affect anybody else. They were just out of line with God's will for my life. I've just disobeyed what the scripture said or what God was calling me to do. It didn't negatively impact anybody else, but what it really did do was make my life more complicated. Each one of us are accountable not only to our culture that we don't hurt other people or to our government that we don't kill anybody or take anybody else's stuff, but each one of us are accountable for our behaviors, whether they affect anybody or not, to our creator. So we have to choose to live under his authority and obedience to his word. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 9 is written to everybody. And here's what it says. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, even if it doesn't hurt anybody else, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit of God will harvest everlasting life from that Spirit from the Spirit of God. So let's not get tired of doing what is good, whether it benefits anybody or not, because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Uh, I heard a lot when I was growing up in churches that sin, disobedience towards God, and selfishness towards others, we get that part, but even the disobedience towards God, that doesn't affect other people. Sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I'll bet the older you are, the more willing you would be to admit that there are things that you've done in your life, sins against God, that did not affect anybody else, that took you to a place in your life that you did not want to be in. And it kept you stuck there longer than you wanted to stay, and it cost you more than you want to pay. And that's what Eve forgot also, that the consequence for sin, whether it affects anybody else or not, is severe. That brings me to the third doubt, and that's that God's holding back. Here's the thing, Eve. God knows that if you do this, here's what you're going to get. That's what he does. The whisper that I have in my heart that God knows that if I do it my way, then I don't really need him anymore. If I do it God's way, I'm going to miss out on something. And I can remember feeling this way in high school. I was a devoted follower of Jesus. I'm trying to live my life in yoke with Jesus. I'm wanting to go when he says go, stop when he says stop, go right when he says right, left when he says left. And in my dating relationships, I knew that God had put boundaries there for me. But I also had friends that were living in dating relationships that were not yoked with Jesus or were, but were in disobedience to God. And I saw that they and their dating relationships were doing things that I was making a choice out of obedience to God not to do. And my fear was that if I kept doing it God's way, I would miss out. That ultimately in the end, it wouldn't be worth it. That here I am saying no to these opportunities to gratify my urges like some of my friends were doing, and I'm saying no to those things. I have obedience to God. And what if I do it God's way and God doesn't make it worth it to me? Like that's that's how I, I felt that temptation, that doubt, that struggle when I was in high school. 
Uh, I've got a, a friend who's a part of our church. He's a mature, devoted follower of Jesus. He knows a ton of scripture. But there's a part of his life that has been off limits to God for a long time. And the reason why he said no to God in this area of his life, because he was afraid that if I give this to God, like, like God, if I do this, I'll have less for myself. I'll get less of what I really want, happiness and, you know, whatever. But I need to manage this. So this is going to be the area of my life that I don't yield to God. And truthfully, that became the area of his life that brought him the most complication. So he and I, a few weeks ago, got to sit down together in my office, and I brought up this area of his life. And I said, how are you doing in this area? It was a, It was an awkward conversation, but a very healthy conversation because we genuinely are friends. And he was honest with me. And he said, that's the area of my life that I've been having the hardest time yielding to God. That's the area of my life that when he says go, I don't go and stop, I don't stop. He says right, I go left. And when he says left, I go right. And I said, well, how's that working out for you? And he said, truthfully, this is the area of my life that's causing me the most pain. This is the area of my life that is most broken. This is this is where my life is most complicated. I said, what if in 2022, this was the area of your life that you yielded most to God? He felt that that was a word from God for his life and made that conscious choice to yield even that area of his life to the yoke of Jesus. And in, and in doing that, he made some very difficult choices to obey God. I texted him two days ago and asked, man, how's it going? And then in your life generally, and in that part of your life specifically. He responded, dude, things are going great. Thanks for the accountability. And here's how this is working out in my life. And he discovered that God wasn't holding out on him at all. And he discovered that what Jesus said in John chapter 10 is true. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy, but my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. And that's what you have to choose whether or not you believe. Like as a teenager, when I was choosing to handle my dating relationships in a biblically appropriate way, I was making the conscious choice that if I live my life, this specific area of my life, in yoke with Jesus, that that will bring me to a richer and more satisfying place in my relationships later on. In this area of my friend's life, he had to decide whether or not God was holding out on him and whether or not if he did it God's way, if that would bring him to a more rich and more satisfying, more satisfying life. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, this is David, and he says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living you with you forevermore. That's what I want. That's what Jesus wants for you is a rich and satisfying life that will bring you greater joy but the condition on getting that rest from that yoke, getting that rich and satisfying life that will bring you abundant joy comes on the condition that you live in that yoke with Jesus. And that brings me to my final doubt, which is whether or not my way is ultimately better than God's way for me. Now, if I'm gonna be completely transparent with you, I'm going to be honest about the number one advantage to giving in to sin is immediate gratification to what I want. That's what it is. Uh, you felt this, that giving in, like, like yielding to sin, like it's my way or God's way. My way gives me instant payoff. The kids make me angry. God's way is to control myself before I discipline them. But my way is rage on them. And it feels really good to instantly gratify that, 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 that need uh, to, to scream at the kids. I scream at the kids, it causes more damage than I spend hours undoing damage that I just did to that them in that moment. You've probably 
chosen immediate gratification of the flesh to sin because it felt good, and then later on regretted it and wished you could go back and undo it, right? That's that's what the scripture is talking about. That's what Eve was worried about. Her way, she felt, I will be like God. I will know as much as him if I do this. My way will work out better for me. And truthfully, that's the same thing that you and I do. Uh, when it comes to God's way might be for me to be faithful in my marriage, but I'm really tempted to give in to an illicit, real, intimate relationship with another woman that I work with, right? So that I've got to choose whether or not I give in to instant gratification, whether or not my way works out better or God's way. And some of these are a little bit easier to see than others, but some that you would think would be easy to see the danger in we give in to also. So we have to choose whether or not God's way is the right way. It's the difference between whether or not we spend a dollar or invest a dollar. Like when I drive by a McDonald's and I think about the $1.49 ice cream cone, vanilla ice cream cone, McDonald's ice cream cones are as, when the ice cream machine is working, is as wonderful as a McDonald's french fry. But if I can take that dollar and I spend it, I instantly am gratified by that ice cream cone, but now I don't have anything to invest. Or you can take that dollar and invest it. Say no to the ice cream, trusting that I can take this dollar and buy a lemonade instant packet and then make a batch of lemonade that I sell for 10 cups at a dollar. Now I've got $10. So in one way, spending the dollar, I get instant gratification. In the other way, in obedience, I'm or in wisdom, I'm investing the dollar. So truthfully, every time that I say no to sin, it's not as much a sacrifice that I'm making as much as it is an investment into a life that I trust on the other side of this will be more rich, more satisfying, and result in abundant joy. My argument, though, is that I have rights. I am allowed to do whatever I want because this is my life. But the biblical response to that is that I gave up those rights when I became a devoted follower of Jesus. I do have the right as an ox to walk wherever I want in this field. But if I've chosen to be in a yoke with Jesus, then what I've done is I've given up my right to independence because I've chosen to be dependent on my relationship with my creator, God. First Corinthians chapter six talks about this, and here's what it says. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to you anymore. You gave up those rights because God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So what's the response? If you find yourself having given in to one of these four doubts and it's caused you to live outside of the direction that God's called you to live in, how should you respond to this? The first way is to repent, to turn from your sin and independence from your creator and enter into that relationship. Some of you guys have never taken on the yoke of Jesus. You're just a stray cow wandering out in a field, right? Just trying out whatever you can try out. You're, you're like C.S. Lewis. You're uh, said, you're the guy who's trying to find a happiness anywhere but in God. And maybe you're done with that. So you would trust that maybe Jesus meant what he said when he said that if you enter in a relationship with him, you would find this yoke as light and that it would end in a rich and satisfying life and that your joy would become abundant. But what you have to do to find that yoke is you have to repent of your sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. 
There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which doesn't have repentance, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. It's not enough that you would say, my way isn't working. That's not repentance. That's worldly repentance. To acknowledge that something is broken isn't enough. You've got to come to the place where you have biblical repentance, where you acknowledge that your independence from God is not right, that your sin has led you off track. And it's the kind of repentance that leads you away from sin and toward God. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to bow your head in just a minute and call on Jesus to forgive you and save you for your life lived without regard to his plan for your life. Your life lived in disobedience towards him and your selfishness towards others. Accepting that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays off the debt you owe God. I'm asking you to tell God that you're willing to be yoked in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to own your freedom from your dependence, your addiction to sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 is a fantastic verse, and some of you guys need to hear this. Here's what it says. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're in that yoke, right? You don't need to feel bad about your wandering off in the field anymore. Let that go because that was before you were yoked to Jesus. There's no condemnation for you who belong to Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Your sin no longer owns you. Once you entered into that yoke with Jesus, It's like once I entered into the yoke of marriage, once I went into a commitment with Jesus, the single man, Sean, died. That guy doesn't exist anymore. The single man ways no longer have authority over me because I am not that guy anymore. What Jesus says, what Romans chapter 8 says, is that when we enter into this relationship, the former things no longer condemn us. And I'm set free from those things from now on. I don't have to live that way anymore. Now what do I do? Now you need to follow what Psalm 34 says. Now you need to commit to walking with God in obedience. Psalm 34 verse five says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. I'm asking you to look to God. I'm asking you to bring every area of your life. And every time we go over these uh, different areas of our relationship over the next three weeks, some of them are gonna be easy for you to bring into alignment with God's will and some of them are going to be difficult. I'm going to ask your prayer to be the same as King David's when he says, I'm going to look to you, God, for help. I'm going to trust that you will give me, that you will make me radiant with joy and that the shadow of shame for the ways in which I fall short will no longer darken my face. God, I'm asking for your help. This is the direction I want to go in. I want to live every relationship in line, like stopping and starting and going right and then going left. I want to do all of this from now on in response to the direction you want me to go, trusting that that will bring me most radiant joy. That will also lead me to a more rich and satisfying life. And God, I'm asking for your help with this. That's the prayer I'm asking you to make right now. So if you would bow your head with me and we'll pray. God, I'm thankful that you love us no matter what we've done. I'm thankful that you don't abandon us to to ourselves. Uh, that you don't leave us alone in the middle of our sin or at the end of our dead-end roads, that you you go searching for wandering oxen. 
and you invite every one of us into a yoke, into a relationship with you. So for those of you who are disconnected from God, your prayer is, God, I don't want to be disconnected from you anymore. I want to be yoked to Jesus. I want to live my life with you. Can you make that your prayer? God, take away my sin. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. Now own your freedom. God, no longer do I want this sin, this relational sin, this habitual sin, this addiction to control me anymore. Can you make that your prayer? God, those things no longer condemn me. And according to the scriptures, I have been set free from their authority in my life, and I'm asking for that freedom. If you're a Christian, I want you to ask for that freedom. God, give me the freedom from that sin's authority in my life from now on. And God, I'm asking you to help me experience radiant joy in my life in this area. Can you make that your prayer? God, give me radiant joy. Let the shadow of shame no longer darken my face in this area of my life. Can you make that your prayer? God, please accept our prayers from sincere and honest hearts. Help us to become the people you've always intended us to be, trusting that when we live in obedience to you and your word, trusting that every word that you said is true, that's where we will find a rich and more satisfying life. Give this to us in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.